This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pints and Perspectives. I am having a great day here with my friend and mentor, Ben Blackwell. So glad that he's with us again. It's always a pleasure, so yep. thanks for inviting me. And we are still, uh, we're back on, we're back on schedule. I have a new beer. Uh, I am drinking from Blue Owl Brewing, the Little Boss Sour Session Wheat Beer. I've not tried it yet. I'm looking forward to it. Ben has to drive in a little bit, so he is still working on his lager beer from last episode. Yeah, I still have my Baptist uh, constitution that, yeah. you know, I can't drink more than one beer at a time without. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what's <laughs> the, what's, it's funny cause we're a Baptist church, but, uh, what's the old joke? Um, uh, you oh, can't yeah. take one Baptist fishing cause it'll drink all your beer, but if you take two, it'll leave you alone. They'll hold each that. other accountable. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it is, um, the time in the series, as I've outlined it, to talk, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, but we, we really haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about the king of the kingdom. Mm. And, and, and in this construct of the kingdom of God, um, the underlying premise, uh, what the kingdom of God presupposes, is that there is a king. Mm. And for us, what, the way that we understand that reality of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is the king. Yeah, yeah. That I think, you know, we talked about Jesus Christ uh, before, and again, we often treat Christ as his last name, uh, if not a cuss word, right? But Right, uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, like Jesus, Jesus Christ. H, yeah, yeah, Jesus H. Christ, you know, if you're yeah. going to cuss appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, in that sense, Christ is his title, right? It means Messiah. Right. It's not Joseph and Mary Christ, the little baby Jesus yeah, Christ. For, so. <laughs> for our, our literary people, uh, Christ is kind of like an epithet. It's Jesus the Christ. It's, yeah. it's saying who the person of Jesus is in the role that he performs. Yeah, and so you'll often find, I think N.T. Wright is very good about this, is like he never actually uses the word Christ anymore. He just uses Jesus the Messiah because, mm. um, you know, my Spanish is very poor these days, but sandia is the word for watermelon in Spanish. Same word means the exact same thing, just different, you know, pronunciation for the idea. And so Christ and Messiah, uh, Christ is not just, you know, this name or title or whatever title in that sense, even that it gets fixed. It's like, no, it's this role as the Messiah. And right. so, um, when we use religious language, like disciple even is, you know, religious re language or apostle, right? Disciple in our terms, I think is an apprentice or an apostle is like an emissary or a, um, what do you ambassador or something, yeah. you know, these terms that are, not religious. And so in that sense, anybody that had uh, oil anointing them would be a Christ. In fact, in the Catholic church, you still have this language used in christenings. They become oh. little Christs because they become a little anointed people because they are anointed in their baptism. And so, um, 
of course, in the early church, we are Christians, you know, yeah. that title came to, we are also anointed. So first Corinthians or second Corinthians one, uh, Paul uses that language about, um, being anointed like Christ is. And so that that's why we're Christians is we have the Holy spirit to empower us to do the work and the ministry that Christ has led us into. And of course, part of what we've been talking through here is that that's a ministry of power of overcoming this power of evil, but it's also a ministry and a vocation of suffering like he suffered. And so it's that tension between those two that drives us forward. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, good, a good launching place in that is, you know, you talked about the Catholic christenings, right? There's a very famous movie where they do a, a christening and in, in the Catholic tradition, you're asked, do you denounce the devil in all his ways? Yeah, yeah. And it's a very crude reference, but the uncle of the person being christened, um, is very crude and, you know, kind of does, but his answer is, yeah, the devil can kiss my ass. Yeah, that's it. Like, in the Gilmore Girls is yeah, where that happens. So it's yeah. a good classic. Like you it know, is. it's crude, but it gets the idea of like, yeah, part of being a Christian is renouncing the devil and his ways. You know, right? So and a, and which means is you know we talk a lot about not being dualistic in our thinking, but actually in this it is quite black and white. There are two ages this present evil age and the age of the kingdom of God. And here we live in this system. And so if you are renouncing the devil in all his ways, you are choosing the kingdom of God, which means you are choosing a life in which you serve the king. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think one of the things is, is we were talking about the environment earlier and, and there's this mindset, well, like who cares about the environment, right? It's all right. going to pass away anyways, yeah. but it's the same thing like with any other form of ethics. It's like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian now, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I won't sin when I go to heaven so I can sleep with any woman that I want now. Mm. because it doesn't matter what I do now because the few, and it's like, no, it's cheap grace, bro. Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, of course, I don't advocate that, but yeah. the whole idea is that the Christian life is we live in the present as if we are in the future, yeah. right? The future, that future kingdom is here and now. And so, of course, it's the overlap of those two ages, right? That evil age is still going on, and yet we still have the new age here already. And so... In that sense, we live as if Christ is fully king. We obey even when it, it looks foolish, but it's because he is the king and we owe that obedience to him because he has given his life for us. Yeah, and I think um, for our purposes here, I think it's really important that we look at the trial and crucifixion and suffering of Jesus, mm -hmm. because those really embody who Jesus the King is. Yeah. Um, and we have the work of Jesus throughout the gospels where he's conquering evil. He's, he's doing these things, showing his authority over death and illness and evil and creation itself, that he is the true King. He has authority over all these elements but then we get to the trial and right. We talked about it last episode that the, the Messiah will suffer yeah. and be killed. Yep. Uh, it is inevitable. 
And as we call ourselves Christians, it means that we are to be Christ-like, uh, like the Messiah. And what do we see when we get to the trial and, and crucifixion of Jesus? Well, we see a few things. Number one, the thing we have to see is that Jesus undergoes two different trials. He goes under a trial by the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, in which they charge him with blasphemy. And the blasphemy is that he claims to be God. It's not that he claims to be the Messiah. You could claim to be the Messiah, and it's okay. It's that he claims to be like God. He quotes Psalm 110. He, he calls himself the Son of Man, which is referencing Daniel 7. He claims to be God. And that is blasphemous. But they can't, they can't actually kill him. Roman law doesn't allow them to kill him. We see them step outside of Roman law and kill people like Stephen in Acts 8. But they really aren't supposed to kill people. So they take him to Pilate. And this is very important because they want him crucified. Because anyone who's hung on a tree is cursed, right? So they want him crucified. And when he goes to Pilate, the new charge is revolution, that he's claiming to be king of the Jews, right? That, and that's, that's, a very, that's a very important moment, especially in Matthew's gospel, right? That, that he is claiming to be king of the Jews. And so what do they do? They treat him like a king, but in a very satirical way. It's a, it's a mockery of his kingship, which actually in turn embodies what he as a king wants to embody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's this really interesting thing. So um, they, his exaltation, right? The lifting up, the uh, praising of a king is on a cross. It is a, a symbol of shame or death, destruction, loss. Um, it's not with a throne and abundance of wine and women and earthly things. It is a denial of himself in his kingship for the sins of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that, like you'd mentioned earlier, they gave him the robe, right? And the purple, yeah. Purple robe, which again, for us today, it's no big deal to go down and get any kind of fabric, but, um, you know, you think about it in the ancient world, it wasn't, you didn't have machines that made anything. So any fabric that was spoiled by blood and all that was not good, but particularly ones that had been uh, treated with, you know, in colored purple. That's uh, well, and in act, what is it? Act 16, where we get the conversion of Lydia and mm -hmm. the, in the starting of the Philippian church, we're told that Lydia is a dealer of purple cloth. Yeah. What that's really saying is she's a textile magnate. Yeah. Right. She's a very wealthy woman yeah. because she deals in purple cloth. Like it was the true sign of wealth and royalty. Yeah. No. So you have that there and then also the crown of thorns. And of course the, the title over the cross is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I mean, everything about this points to this is a King, you know, issue. And so, right. um, you know, we talked, I talked about NT Wright uh, not using the word Christ, but rather Messiah. And 
in a lot of ways, anytime you see the word Christ, you, we should probably just, and Messiah doesn't even really fit. You know, we, we get what that means. We should just say King, you know, because that's what the yeah. text is pushing towards here is that Jesus as the King, uh, Christ as the King, right? You have a lot yep. of churches named that it seems, but you know, this is the whole deal and that it, it of course inverts everything we anticipate about authority and leadership and, um, our value systems. And so the whole th thing about this is that Jesus is valuing eternal goods over temporal goods, or he's living according to the future and therefore willing to sacrifice things in the present. And I think that's, um, the heart of eschatology, right? Eschatology is not so much about timelines and who's the antichrist and all that stuff. Right. True eschatology is built around ethics will you live in the present as if the future is already here? And yeah. And I think that's the, the goal and the call here. And of course, Jesus is the model of that, right? The new age is here because of Christ. The day of the Lord has arrived, right? Jesus as the Lord, the Holy spirit as the Lord has arrived. And yet the, the past evil age is still fighting against it. Right. right. And, um, so in that sense, it's a, uh, you know, that's true eschatology though, that, that willingness to sacrifice and suffer because you know, there, there are greater goods that come out of this, the, the lesser goods being sacrificed, you know, um, uh, can be sacrificed. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we, we talk about this quite a bit on this and our other podcasts, but the new Testament is written in an honor shame culture. We don't, we don't really live in an honor shame culture, except when we do, um, specifically honor shame, it, it's much deeper and more embedded in the ancient world, but we have elements of it. We judge people based on the size house they have or what job title position title they have, what their annual salary is. I mean, we, we do this honor shame culture, uh, in that way. And we judge this is the part about the honor shame culture. We judge people based upon where they grew up in that hierarchy. Yeah. Right. So yeah. think about the common motif. You grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. That's a statement of an honor shame culture. And in this, Jesus comes embodying the opposite of the honor shame culture. His exaltation is the most humiliating death known in the ancient world. His kingship is, is distorted by blood his crown harms him it's the inversion of the power structure as we would know it today right the disciples are told uh the last will be first and the first will be last you're not thinking of this in the way you should luke makes the gospel for the outcast it's the women it's the sinners, it's the Samaritans, it's the people that you don't think I came for, that I came for. It truly is an inversion of power structures and hierarchies as we would know them today. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, one thing that is a good reminder there of you know, crucifixion wasn't just a random death penalty. You know, for us, like getting the electric chair, anybody who does capital murder is eligible for that. 
they they had different forms of execution in the ancient world. So only slaves and um, lower class kind of serfs could be put to death with crucifixion. Those who had honor were put to death either through uh, like poison. We see that with Socrates or beheading or something like that. Um, Which John the Baptist, right? We see him beheaded. Yeah, that's an interesting one there. That that because it, uh, it really is this weird. Yeah, and so, but for Jesus to be crucified, then says that he is the worst and the lowest, right? It means that he. It signals that that signals all sorts of things with that, and um, the the hope here, the the you know, it's the radical reversal that this brings. You know, remember, we're back to Isaiah 61 of how Jesus frames the kingdom in Luke 4. He says to preach good news to the poor. And the whole idea of if someone, um, if a new king or a new leader comes in, it's usually good news for the people at the top of the food chain, right? Will you get a position of power here and will you be able to trade that power for goods there's almost never any new leader. I don't care which political party, right? Is there the the poor right. don't usually come out good in the end, right? Because nope. people, uh, money attracts attention, and so if you don't have any money, you or and you don't vote, then you have no power. And so, right. uh, a new king is only good news for those who will participate in that. And so the, the idea here then is that Jesus actually identifies with those who are powerless, those who have been abused, those who have been oppressed. And yet his kingdom is greater than these, these forms. And so that doesn't make, it doesn't, um, minimize the reality of the suffering, but it, it, it gives hope in the midst of that suffering. And it, and it's the, the great message of, uh, of, of the cross. I mean, it's foolishness, right. And, and weakness, uh, but at the same time, it's power and wisdom. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's right. And I think there's an interesting piece of this narrative that's oft, often overlooked is when, so they go and they present Jesus to the Sanhedrin and they find him guilty of blasphemy. And then the next morning they take him to Pilate to be taken before so that he can be crucified, which I think is its own interesting element. We've talked about it on here before, but the Bible project has uh, a good six part episode on the tree of life. And it's mm -hmm. interesting that Jesus is killed on a dead tree. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not unique. That's I think intentional that there's this thing that's instituted in the beginning that gives life and Jesus is killed on the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, they stole that from Irenaeus. Oh, is Irenaeus say that? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I have he, to go back and refresh myself on makes right. a connection between the tree and, um, Mary and the Eve and the okay. connection of the restoration. So there's all sorts of reversals, you know? Yeah. The, so Irenaeus, Irenaeus is a patristic theologian. If you didn't know, yeah, he but, about 170. Yeah. Ish. But I think there's this interesting piece of the narrative that we overlook uh, as just a, a piece of the story. When, when Jesus is presented before Pilate, Pilate doesn't seem to think like he doesn't really want to, he seems conflicted 
about the issue. And so he presents them with a guy named Barabbas to see if they want him released or Jesus, the Messiah released. Yeah. And what's interesting, not all of the gospels record it. I'm looking at Matthew's version right now and he doesn't record it, but Barabbas is guilty and convicted of insurrection. He is guilty of leading a revolution. Like that's what that is. He leads a revolution against the power structure at B as is Jesus. We miss that piece. Mm-hmm. What Pilate does is he brings someone who is quote unquote guilty of the exact same thing, but Barabbas is one of violence and power. Whereas Jesus is, is one of suffering and insignificance. Yeah. I think that's the, I used educate the audience here. Orthogonal. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, we tend to address politics and so Christians participate just in the political system as if they're just equal, you know, and active participants in that system. And the whole idea is so they meet the challenges head on. And I think the whole idea here is that Jesus, it's not that his message doesn't have real social, uh, not even implications, but like a message that addresses social issues but he doesn't meet it head on. He doesn't use the power structure. He actually meets it at a perpendicular, right? Yeah. He comes at it from the side and undercuts it from its very value. And that's ultimately, that is the power of life and death is the power of the system, right? Yeah. Because they can always uh, challenge you with that. And by a willingness to take that power away, then they have no power over you. Right. Like you're willing to live according to a wholly different value system. And it's, it's the most, um, perhaps difficult thing about the gospel is to live according to a truly Christological value system. Yeah. Um, but it's almost one of the most, uh, satanic, right. Not to, right. Is <laughs> what right. Jesus tells Peter, you know, it's like, if you live according to the power of politics and authority in that way, that's human thinking. That's not God's thinking. And so it, it's so difficult I think. Yeah. Well, and social media has made this even worse because we follow people and we see their exuberant lifestyles or mm. at least the one that they put forward online. And we feel like we can never measure up. And yet we don't follow Christian or religious institutions and organizations that help us keep a kingdom focus. Mm. Um, and part of that's because the religious institutions and organizations don't do a good job of talking about the kingdom of God. But to another extent, we're all given over to the American dream. Yeah. We want the big house. We want, you know, the wealth, a nice 401k, which Jesus is saying, well, maybe that's not the end all be all of this life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, just, it's very hard to live outside that message. Right. You know, oh, well, cause we're inundated with, yeah, it. I, I walked my son, uh, we intentionally bought a house after living in England. We decided we wanted to be a bit more local in our focus. Uh, the, the town we lived in there was much smaller than Dallas. And so, uh, much, much smaller. And so it's very walkable. You rode the bus places and stuff like that. So we moved here to Houston. We intentionally bought a house that was walkable to the high, uh, elementary and middle school. 
but between our house and the uh, and these schools is a neighborhood that's a, a step or two above ours. You know, and yeah. It's always on this daily basis, I'm walking my sons and my dog to school. And it's always that draw is like I'm very satisfied with my house. In fact, if I had a bigger house, I'd have more to clean and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. more things that could break or whatever. But yeah. it's like every day you walk past that and it's that draw that's within you. It's like, well, what if I had a bigger house and nicer right. or whatever? And it, it, you know, and it's a constant, you know, and there's no advertising behind that. It's right. Just, it's just, it just it, is. Yeah. It's you just add, is. You add the advertising and all the other manipulation, like you said, and social media and just uh, media in general. Um, it's the training that we have. You know, there. Uh, Jamie Smith talks about this a lot. You know that we're we're trained not just in our the ideas and messages, but we're trained in the actual practices we do that yeah. reinforces that of, you know, the good feeling at you, the kind of shot of, um, serotonin or whatever, when you, you buy a new yep. gadget or a new, you yep. know, whatever it is, uh, uh, more clothing or whatever. And, um, it's just like the whole system is built up to reinforce investing in the most temporal or limited things rather than, yeah. And if, if there were one charge that I could leave us with in this, it's, it's a charge that I used last episode, but what if we inverted this desire for materialism and things and inverted it to a place where it represented the kingdom of God? If you are a person of means and if you are a person of abundance don't build a taller fence, build a longer table, welcome people into that fellowship, welcome people into that experience with you, not keeping it for yourself. That is truly the embodiment of the first will be last and the last will be first. I was listening to a sermon by John Wimber on the kingdom and he was talking about, um, He's got a great book called Power Evangelism. And so the whole idea of most of the miracle stories in the New Testament are about healings of people that are not believers, right? Right. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's common people doing using miracles as an evangelistic tool to draw people into the kingdom. But he, he was also talking about the power of um, just gift and, and loving other people to reach out. And so... Um, he mentioned the idea of, you know, if you're, uh, this woman was talking to him and he's like, I'm a mom with two or three kids. What do I have, you know, or what am I going to sacrifice my kid or whatever, you right. know? And, and his whole thing was, is, well, what, what are the things that you like to do? She's like, well, I'm a baker. And so he said, well, anytime you bake a cake or a pie or something, always mm -hmm. bake one more and, uh, and use it to give it away to your immediate neighbors right it doesn't have to be the poor across the world or down in mexico or wherever take it across the street yeah and just build bridges as as you sacrifice you know and it's not it doesn't always have to be these huge sacrifices in that sense but it's always that sense of don't ever just invest in yourself when you can also invest in others at the same time and so just that that sense of uh you know having an identity of the community that you're in.